presses record. Bonjour. Bonjour, ça va? <clears throat> oui, ça va. As far as it goes. Uh, how was your holiday? That was very British of you. <laughs> or should I say, happy Yorkshire Day? Yes. Where, where did that come from? Is it's that been a, around a while. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. What, in Yorkshire? Yeah. Every day is Yorkshire Day in Yorkshire, John. God. Uh, is, there not a, is there not a Hampshire Day? I don't know. I'm not from it around these parts. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. Yeah. Where do you, where were you, um, where were you born? Berkshire, dear. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, so how was your holiday? Uh, very nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it seems yeah. a million years ago. Yeah. It's only a week since you got back, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I love, uh, love France. I loved where we went. Lots of, uh, lots of good stuff to do. It was great. Excellent. Did you come back feeling refreshed? I did, although not very uh, designery. No, I think that's um, always the way after a holiday. You know, you might come back feeling sort of invigorated and excited and maybe even feeling like your creative juices have been replenished. But um, sort of, I've never really come back wanting to get into the nitty gritty of design. I've um I've never had a holiday. I think you know it's only taken me till forty six to actually learn to, to completely turn off and not think about anything. Because I I often go when away and thought, oh you know what, I'm going to really plan for the future. You know, it's like yeah. New Year, it's like New Year's resolutions, isn't it? Yeah. This one I didn't I didn't think about it once. I didn't I didn't have any clients get in touch with me. No, didn't. I, we didn't have we didn't have any wireless. So um, excellent. Did you have your email turned off then or how uh, did you avoid clients getting in touch they can't they did, surely have just yeah they left me alone generally wow. i mean I, I i think i did a couple of little forwards but no uh, to be fair I, I had warned them so everyone left me alone oh, and good on them. it seems that august is everyone's away so yes, uh there is that yeah i think a lot of mine is is event-based and they've finished so there's no one around yeah um other than that or my um all my clients have abandoned me <laughs> has, the, has the fun run since you got back? Not really, no. Oh, dear job! It did today. I got I got a job in today. I'm not. To be honest, I'm not that worried. Um, my wife's away again this week, so I'm around for little one, and yeah. uh, and I'm not really feeling much in the mood for for as I say uh, for design, which for a, for somebody uh, on a design podcast um, is not good. I should introduce the show, shouldn't I? This you is uh, North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. This is episode fifty eight. I'm Jonathan Elliman, and on the other end of Skype is Rob Turpin. Woohoo! Good evening. Good evening, John. Yes. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's must be nearly a month since we recorded that last. Yeah episode is it uh, the the episode where i said <laughs> where i wasn't actually on it <laughs> yes you were where i didn't press record don't, the one where you didn't press record yes i'm i'm gonna start this episode as as i've started the last few um i'm drinking up worthington's white shield do you know that no never it's, heard. The, it's worthington's is that like what white lightning yes very <laughs> similar uh worthington's <laughs> finest india pale ale for oh, true God. IPA connoisseurs, uh, one of which I am not. Um, but um, let's give it a go. That's nice. That's a good. That's a good beer. Five point six percent. Quite powerful. Uh, I've got one. Shall I open it? Hang on. Mm. Hang on. Into the microphone. It's a. It's a can. 
Oh, is wow. it a kind of bash shandy? Oh, that's that is hoppy. Um, is so that this is called Life and Death. Okay. Uh, by the, from the Vo- Vocation Brewery, mm-hmm. uh, and it's actually I bought it from Tesco. What's the little tiny Tesco's called? Tesco, Tesco Metro. Yeah, something like that. Well, hardly Metro here, is it? Yeah, even they've started stocking trendy looking beers. Is it a trendy looking beer, or is it just a beer that looks trendy? Because I noticed Sainsbury's have got their own a kind of craft beer brand yeah. that kind of looks like a craft beer, but I've no idea if it is or not. Uh, is this a proper? Is this a proper craft brewery? Uh, it's a fiercely independent brewery that excellent uh, distributes like. into Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> Marvelous. Um, on Hebden uh, Bridge, mate. Hebden Bridge, lovely. It's very, very. Uh, I can smell it from here. It smells like you know some sixteen-year-olds uh, lighting up at the wreck. Does it? Uh, I I got lucky um, with beer. Recently. <laughs> I did I, some sixteen-year-olds <laughs> at the wreck. <laughs> Beep. No, that's been a while. <laughs> Um, I bought my dad for Father's Day one of these beer bods cases of beer, like twelve bottles of hand-picked uh, craft ales and things for thirty-six quid, I think it was. And they sent him two boxes by mistake, so he gave me one. So I've got um, a fridge full of craft ale. Nice, which is marvelous. If anyone from beer bods is listening to this, cheers. Or no, they'll be wanting it back, won't they? Well, too late. It's like the time at university uh, in Exeter. There was a time when somebody came back running into our house and they'd been all the way down the street telling everybody that the somebody would loaded in, I don't know, 20 quid notes into the five pound note bit right. in that west in the high street. So literally the entire student population from Exeter poured into this <laughs> thing and emptied it in, in a matter of hours and they were all busted. Oh, I, I didn't take any out because I didn't have any money in there. So. <laughs> Uh, so you know the Ivy have started doing these Ivy cafes like a franchisey type. No, Not I had no idea. But, so they, I think they got bought a year or two ago by a Chinese company, um, and now they're rolling them out all over the place. Yeah, so it's lovely. It's in the old All Bar One in Richmond. It's a nice old kind of bank type property. They've obviously spent a bit of money inside. Amazing Negroni, but yeah, just the food was was okay. I mean, I did decent shepherd's pie, but yeah, hairs and eyelashes in you know, times three, which was really pretty poor. And even though they knocked off half the bill, it was still 60, 60 odd quid. Which is um, hef- hefty for a shepherd's pie. Yes, exactly. Technically something that isn't a pie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was good, but not not brilliant. It was no better than like Kurt or somewhere like that. Food is a bit disappointing, isn't it, at the moment? Unless you're really into sort of street food or whatever. I find it. Yeah, I, I find restaurants very uninspiring. They're all very mm. pretentious um, and lacking in, you know, things that I really like to tuck into. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I used to love going to restaurants and now I find it a bit of a chore. Mm. I like to give me a traditional old brasserie or something like that. Yeah. That well, that's kind that. of what the Ivy's supposed to be. I mean, it's never, I don't think it's ever been famous for you know it's never had a mission no it's like it's school dinners isn't it yeah so what what's the um is it next to a barber's by any chance if you get in eyelashes (laughs) and stuff in it maybe maybe (laughs) it is but uh not great so um your week since you've been back what else do you know uh what have i been doing i've been just tidying up paperwork accounting 
Uh, I went for, I, I had a day off. I had two days off last week. <laughs> Come back from holiday. Slacker. Uh, I had to, well, no, I had my daughter on Friday. So we went trampolining as you do. Mm-hmm. And yep. on Thursday, I, I met up with my brother-in-law and we went to see Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. That's our main topic a bit later on. Yeah? It is. Yeah. Uh, we both seen it at the IMAX, which is yep. the la- largest cinema in the UK. And saw it in in fifteen seventy millimeters, which I of, of which I knew nothing about. What does the fifteen refer to? There are fifteen sprockets, and it's a horizontally loaded film. Or something. I see. Yeah, I see. Did I they think. show you some of the film before? Yeah. The did yeah. you Did you see it? Yes. Was it a German chap? No, it was the manager uh, there. Uh, he was brilliant. We had a slightly awkward German chap. Oh right. Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. Anyway, we'll talk about that mm. in a bit. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I've been trying to get back in um, into the swing of things um, and struggling massively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what else have I been doing? Um, I, I've i got the, the bug for biking again. I used to be a really big biker years and years ago. When mountain, you say biking, mountain, mountain biking, right, riding yes. bikes, not leathers. And <clears throat> I think there's, I think there's an age. Yeah, no, no, not motorbikes. There's an age you hit, isn't there? When suddenly racing bikes look quite, you know, you think, oh, that looks quite, quite enticing. Um, but I just don't want to be one of those slightly portly lycra people that zooms past yeah. my window. There's a lot of that minutes. about in the design world, isn't there? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of it about in the forty year old yeah. <laughs> world. I think it gives you a nice three three or four hours away from everything. Um, but the, but around here the uh, cycling is is uh, pretty pretty amazing. And I, yeah, I, I sure went I went off on my bike uh, and went off road, and I hadn't been for I think nearly ten years. It really is that long that since I've ridden in you know in anger. And one, I can't sit down properly because my bum hurts so much. <laughs> <laughs> and two, I'd I've forgotten I'd put. Um, I used because I used to commute on this bike. I put mm. commuter, so they're semi-slicked tires, and uh, it was only hurtling down a single track in the middle of the countryside that I realised that I was literally skating on thin ice. Oh, um, do you? Yeah. So I came back and I was absolutely covered in stinging nettle stings, uh, cuts, and it was brilliant. I had a I had a I had a blast. Oh, good stuff. So yeah, so that blew some of the cobwebs away. Um, so I'm now thinking about buying a new bike. Of course you are. Yeah, because I'm a designer. You've got to yeah. have three or four, haven't you, hanging from the yeah. ceiling. Uh, what else? I mean, I'm continuing my uh, read of uh, of dystopian novels. I'm reading one at the moment called Earth Abides. Have you heard of that? Oh, one? I haven't. It's, it's from 1947. One? Right. It's by George R. Stewart. Right. Never heard of him. No, I think he only wrote one uh, sci-fi book. Uh, he was famous for writing books about the American Civil War. Okay. But he, it's basically, I think it's the blueprint for a lot of future dystopian books and also video games. It really has been, um, and and maybe zo- even zombie films, because wow. it's a, a really, really long book, um, which is kind of sort of 30, 40 years or, or an entire lifetime of a man after an apocalyptic event yeah, um, uh, and he's he gets basically at the beginning of the book he gets bitten by a, uh, a rattlesnake, and while the poison's going through him, the rest of the world are dying off, um, and he's in a cabin in the mountains. 
So when he comes down, the whole, you know, everything's gone. So he sets off on a journey around America and then settles down. And it's about building a family. And uh, I think Stephen King uh, based his stand book yeah. off the back of it, which I haven't read. Have you read that one? I haven't, no. no. Which I'm going to read next, I think. But, um, yeah, it's just – it is literally the blueprint for all yeah, of those kind it. of books. Um, it has some very, very strange thoughts about race and sex. yeah. I think you know, obviously, because it's from an you know a very much a a waspish um, male in the nineteen forties from America, yeah. um, mm. but uh, it's a it's a fascinating read. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, what about you? What are you catching up with? Well, I'm reading uh, Ancillary Sword by Anne Leckie at the moment, which is the sequel to Ancillary Justice. Uh, really good sci-fi did you have you read ancillary justice no i've never heard of it it's the only book that has won the uh, i can't remember now like the hugo the nebula and the arthur c clark sci-fi awards they're the three big awards and it's the only book that's ever won all three um it's really really good it kind of plays with gender a lot because they only use the female pronoun throughout uh throughout this society in the in the book so you kind of never know what sex anyone is um yeah and it's fascinating there's a it's kind of a a civilization that's ruled by an kind of like an empress who is cloned thousands of times and so she can be kind of in many places at once in all these kind of palace planets um but because of how long it takes her thoughts to travel from you know kind of across the galaxy she she splits into kind of two factions who then go to war with each other but it's brilliant really really good book ancillary justice and ancillary sword is proving to be just as good so that's good uh, which is brilliant because those Stephen Baxter novels I was reading were terrible. And after that, I read uh, Sleeping Giants by uh, Sylvain Nouvelle, um, which was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's adver- I think it says on the cover, uh, This Year's The Martian. And I, I don't know who wrote that, but blimey, it really isn't. It's like uh, The Iron Giant and Pacific Rim had a disappointing love child I've written. It's really, really bad. Oh dear. And it's one of those books that's written almost entirely in the form of uh, letters and interviews and kind of transcripts of interviews and things. Oh, as tiring. if as if to kind of avoid the difficulty of of kind of a narrator. But God it's rubbish. Mm. Um sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was really disp- I mean it only took me about two days to read it, but God it was disappointing well i've just delivered um, the uh, the free sample of uh, ancillary justice to my kindle while no, good stuff. chatting there yeah it's really really good um, um 2.99 got, on kindle well that's not bad is it no. i got a really good art book uh this week lead poisoning by jeff darrow do you know jeff darrow comic artist um rings a bell hard-boiled and uh shaolin cowboy I think he's kind of famous ones. I haven't read any of his comic stuff, but I kind of knew of him. Um, but his, his, it's a book of his pencil sketches called Lead Poisoning. And 
just these fascinating and really imaginative and super intricate drawings of dinosaurs and kind of cyborg dinosaurs and all sorts of weird robot stuff and but just the the detail is just staggering it's really really oh, right yeah no i don't i don't know him but i can see why that's piqued your interest yeah yeah it's fan- fantastic <clears throat> stuff hmm. is he someone who uses um he he draws very two dimensionally but makes it look three dimensional somehow yeah yeah, there's a kind by, of a, by the variant of variation of line, I guess. Yeah, there's almost a flatness to. I think because the detail and texture he gets in kind of doesn't let up across a page, so it kind of looks like uh, evenly textured, but there is incredible depth to it. Mm. Um, fab stuff. Um, yeah, so I've been reading those, looking at that, working on a few commissions this week. I've got quite a big list of commissions to get out, including some some whoppers i don't normally work at kind of a3 but i've got a couple of big a3 commissions to do which hopefully won't take me weeks to get through but might um yeah i know i've been helping steph with weddings she's uh kind of end of august and end of july and august are kind of mad busy wedding wise it's kind of three a week um and we delivered wedding flowers on when was it sunday yeah, Sunday in uh, to Eaton Square in central London. Do you know Eaton Square? No. It's the uh, street in Britain with the highest average house price. And the average price is £17.5 million. Pounds. Um, and only uh, this big, I don't know what um, period it would be, but this big, you know, kind of colonnaded six seven story house square um only 15 of them are still houses all the rest have been turned into flats and apartments and we delivered to one of those that's still a house so it's probably worth 35 million quid this house which was just a bit bizarre and we were thinking about and we were kind of talking about it on the way back i have never really come into contact with old money before you know we we know a few people who were you know wealthy very wealthy but it, i don't know there's something different about old money you know he the guys the the bride's uh stepfather had his driver bring his 1959 rolls royce down from the estate in northumberland uh and uh brought it down to the garage muse in uh in london and we went and decked it out with flowers and you know he was a these incredibly old school, old money eccentrics with, you know, I think he had bright red trousers and a tweed waistcoat and a bright blue cravat and kind of bonkers eccentric. Um, yeah, but it's, just, it's a bit of a different world. He must have come into a contact with a bit of old money going to your, your uh, Hogwarts, did you? <laughs> Not really, no. No. Um, no? No. They all went to Eton, didn't they? Or Harrow, mm. or Harrow. Guess so. so. Yeah, but it was weird. Mm. A grand house. I imagine. I imagine. Yeah. I imagine. Uh, both uh, Sean Connery and Roger Moore had houses in Eaton Square at one point. Marvellous. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, uh, but that's it. That's kind of my week. Jolly good. Should we do some uh, some news? Pourquoi non? <laughs> 
Uh, we've both got um, a little bit of news about our podcast in our notes in uh, that we've been interviewed. That was a surprise. Well, well, I wasn't that much of a surprise. We were interviewed. Oh, yeah. No, it was a surprise being asked to be interviewed. That was a surprise. Yeah. Um, Daniel Bennyworth Gray on behalf of uh, the people at Super High. So Super High is a, a kind of a coding academy type website, isn't it? They've got a book and coding and web design courses going on. I've heard very good things about them. I met, we meant we talked about them. Talk, yeah, we have quite mentioned. a while ago. We yeah. just started up. Great website. Yes, obviously they interviewed me, uh, and, and even better now it's got um, got our names in it. Yeah, so that was <laughs> nice. It's a it's a bit of an interview about how to start a design podcast. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're probably not the yeah exactly. <laughs> it's but, how we started a design podcast. Yeah, exactly. It, of all design podcasts in the world, ours is probably not the one to ask about design. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it was a it was about how we came to the nitty gritty. Uh, creation wasn't it yeah but it was fun yeah it's always interesting when you talk about something you do and kind of take for granted it made me feel very self-conscious and um and realize that there's such little thought gone into this <laughs> podcast that, uh, oh, and i'm not service. even i'm not even post-rationalizing it uh, yes, we talk about what's coming up in the next episode sometimes. Like today, we're winging it. Um, yeah. And and will, will we ever have a website? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <clears throat> but I managed to uh, off, offload all the blame onto you during the, uh, in the course of the interview. I thought, I thought that's what I, what I was doing. Oh. Oh, well. That's a bit embarrassing. A one-all. Yeah. Uh, so, th- yeah, thank you, uh, Daniel, and um, super high. I don't know the, who the peeps are behind Super High, but um, no, thank I mean, you they for may be uh, thinking ter- of us. They may be terribly disappointed when they read it and realise we don't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah. Um, so good luck on that count, Daniel. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so from that exciting news, sad news uh, this week, Sam Shepard has died, who's one of my favourite actors. Uh, and by chance, I'd rewatched The Right Stuff um, the day before I heard the news. And he just remains one of the coolest, the coolest of all American film stars, I think. Um, amazing looking bloke and just very cool. And an amazing writer as well. I wrote the screenplay for Paris, Texas, which is one of my favourite films. So it was very sad to see um, that he'd died. Is that why you had Shepherd's Pie today? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> when I was on the boat uh, coming back from France... I picked up the Independent and was reading that and had uh, just I literally just took a photograph of the article so I haven't taken it any further but I thought it'd be good to discuss about it was an article about uh, robot journalists presenting a game changer to the uh, to online news basically they they're now funding um the creation of automatic news writing yeah they call it robots but it's not robots is it it's just no. apps Cutting up or an uh, algorithm, yeah. Finding feeds, cutting up stuff, and making news out of it. Mm. They Google are aiming at creating thirty thousand local news stories. Uh, they don't say what the time span is for that, whether that's in a few seconds or over a year. Uh, mm. And they sort of they quote 
the Olympics used a few bots to create news. And I can understand how the Olympics would because you've just got lots of results coming in. So you just yeah. uh, you can chop it up very easily. But uh, how do you get nuance and uh, an understanding into into a news item? Yeah, because Google have come under fire from the traditional news sources, haven't they? Because they, being Google News, they, they kind of aggregate news from elsewhere. Um, so yeah. I wonder how much of this is going to be actually original content rather than in some ways like the you know uh, newspapers and magazines take feeds don't they from the press association and they just get people to rewrite it in a house style but it's essentially the same news so I wonder how much of it's going to be kind of genuinely original content and how much of it is just you know slightly rehashed stuff from somewhere else yeah, well, they say the press association has been has been awarded uh, how much is it six hundred and twenty one thousand pound grant to partner with a data journalism startup, Herbs Media. Um, so it's Google led initiative. I don't know who got the money there. Probably Google. <laughs> so it's yeah. a real, real indie thing. Um, but it's also sort of partnered with the fact that uh, there's a prediction from Price Waterhouse Coopers that in the next 15 years, a third of jobs will be affected by automation, mm. um, which is must be terrifying to journalists who are already feeling the squeeze um, from just not only the demand for news and the creation of news, but also the kind of the reduction of staff and money um, that comes into you know that that generates the money to run large press rooms so yeah. that's why this is being automated i guess um I, it just seems to me that uh media is becoming more and more seedy and it will have to be as it grubs around for money yes uh, it, it, yeah it, it, it's it's quite scary isn't it that that money the stories we're going to trust stories that are generated by things that don't have any conscience or is that the daily mail (laughs) (laughs) yeah i kind of almost settle for uh for kind of a machine consciousness generating news rather than one that's led by paul dacre (laughs) <laughs> it's definitely a subject for us to return to i think is, uh, in terms of automation um i yeah. think we should come back and talk about that uh, in, in in more depth and it wasn't really news it was just what you know i fear for yeah. the future even yeah no i'm with you on that what's next uh apple's new uh iphone has been leaked has it kind of mm. um a uh a geeky guy type person um, a uh, a developer, an iOS developer, was rooting through the code of, uh, I think, the firmware for the HomePod speaker, which is Apple's kind of Siri-integrated. Well, that was my top holiday read, that was. <laughs> was What's your was holiday it? reading? The uh, firmware. The firmware, <laughs> the firmware yeah. code for the uh, up-and-coming, yeah, for a non-existent product. Yeah, so this developer was uh, was rooting through it and found references to new devices, so devices that haven't kind of been released before, and they go by code words, but the developers kind of know which things are which. Um, so it references uh, face 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 recognition, um, and 
there's a uh, new um, Perl ID, which uh, is a counterpart to Touch ID, which is supposed to be a facial and retina recognition. Um, and it also talks about there's an icon uh, hidden in the firmware for HomePod, which shows the screen format for the new iPhone 8, which I'd seen elsewhere, but this kind of corroborates it. So it's a bezel-less, full-screen device with no physical home button. And a weird kind of cutout slot of the screen at the top where the uh, front-facing camera and um, speaker and sensors and stuff are. So, and I've read that photographs you take will will kind of show up with this odd, uh, when you look at photos, you get this odd cutout bit. So it doesn't kind of bring in a, a margin. You effectively get this weird bit that cuts into your images. And yeah, very odd. I don't know how. So it's the biggest change really for three or four years since they changed the screen uh, proportions. Mm. So we'll know more in a month when it's uh, when it's announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll definitely be getting one because my phone, uh, which is a, a six, is uh, is now refusing to charge about ninety five percent of the time, which is really annoying me. What's your next bit of news? There's a new magazine called Emma Magazine, which has been created by an artist called Brian Baderman. Um, And he's helping people in Arlington House, which is a hostel in Camden in London. And the contributors to the magazine are the the people living in the hostel. And he's giving, sees it as giving voices to those who are invisible to mainstream society at the moment. Um, I've got no idea what Emma stands for, but I, um, I think it's a great and noble project. And I wish him all the luck and hope they get funding for future, um, future editions because um it's basically just a large it's almost like a photo montage fanzine of articles that people have written but they've not only just written them but they've created uh full page illustrations and poetry and drawings and paintings and it's just a it's a visual riot really yeah it is isn't it? it's quite punky yeah uh in its look um and I noticed in that article, it says um, he's talking about how it's put together with photocopies and print stick and scissors and a stapler. After my experience of designing Decay, uh, a project that he worked on with young people housed at a YMCA in Crouch End. So he's kind of got good form when it comes to this kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, it looks really interesting. I like that kind of real lo-fi uh, quality it's got. Yeah, it's not over designed, but it's also yeah. it's got it's got a really good guiding hand on the on the look of it, um, which which really benefits it. You know, it doesn't look like a, a, your your usual newsletter put out by a charity where yes. there's a few a few awkward scans of drawings. It's it's actually you know uh, some some pages bleed over and mm. um, it's it's got nice type overlaid and it's, it's it's really really interesting looking magazine. So yeah, really should, thoughtfully put together. Yeah. And I'd normally kind of balk at an artist designing a magazine because surely it should be a designer. But um, but he's done a cracking job. Yeah, he he rents space in the house, I think. So he yeah. wants to give something back. Um, and this is my part of looking for stories um, of designers doing good. 
Mm. Uh, which I'll follow up with another one, which is from uh, the dad.co.uk, um, which is the dad design uh, website yeah. that I've spoken about before. Um, and there's a great interview in uh, this in the last couple of weeks. I think it's dropped off the homepage now, but it's with a chap called Tom Evans. And uh, he is running a company called Bleep Bleeps, which I hadn't heard of before. Have you heard of that? No. And they are, uh, so start with Tom Evans. He is a designer, product-based designer, um, and he's set up on his own and has created a company called Bleep Bleeps that are making products for young families. Um, So their first one is a kind of baby monitor. And they've given um, these products really nice, bright, bold plastic um, sort of casing. And they're looking at creating products that actually make sense. And not only are they beautiful things, but they really do. Uh, he has really picked up on things that are missing. So, for example, his uh, they, they've got a thermometer. And when you when you have a baby and you get your first thermometer, I'm speaking from my own personal experience yeah. here, uh, and I'm probably I'm probably just being stupid, but I had no idea. And he quotes this as well of when you put the the thing in their ear and take the temperature, you're like, this is electronics, really cool. It doesn't give you any indication whether the temperature that's giving you is good, bad, <laughs> whether you should yeah. rush to hospital, yeah. and you're like, well, is 39 degrees bad? Is that is it, it, it when you put it in the left ear and the right ear and it's slightly different temperatures? Which which one do I take? Um, and you 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 know you then off googling trying to find out what, what yeah. the hell's going on. Well, these things actually connect to your mobile and actually give you a report of whether that's a good good thing or a bad thing. So it's sort of extending the capability of of the device. Yeah, um, it's really it's something that's kind of overlooked, isn't it? You yeah. know, people design a product and then you're left to use it kind of blindly a lot of the a lot of the time. Yeah. So he's designed them with a real bunch of character as well, haven't it? Just you can beautiful. imagine you know the kid's gonna want to have its temperature taken. Yeah, exactly. It's a funky little bright yellow thermometer. Yeah, with a little with a little face, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and so the Sammy Screamer you can get in. I don't know, there's six colours, I think, or five colours, um, and it's a movement sensor, so you can buy multiple ones, and they all connect to your phone. So mm. if anything's detected movement wise, it will um, alert your phone, which is great. You know, um, I like it because you buy half these things, you know, these monitors things, and they're they're so rubbish. They really are rubbish. And the ones we've got is is not too bad, but. Um, they're really expensive and they barely yeah. work. Also, I think with those sort of things, it's it's often the product itself or the product design might be good or adequate, but it's often the kind of user interface or any software that comes with it and that kind of stuff that is, is like an afterthought. Yeah. So, you know, a really nice, you know, beautifully designed app for your smartphone that goes with a beautifully designed bit of product design. Is, yeah, uh, it's great. Yeah, they've got um, so all of their products. I think the only product they're selling at the moment, they're obviously trying to pre-fund sort of build up for tooling all these other products up. Yeah, uh, is Sammy Screamer, which is a motion alarm. But other products in the line, they've got Lily Loco, David Camera, <laughs> <laughs> Susie Snooze, uh, Cecil G, and the best named one is the digital thermometer, which is Tony Temper. <laughs> Brilliant. They are absolutely brilliant. Yeah. That Susie Snooze thing, that, which is uh, a baby monitor, and it's also kind of a nightlight, and he talks about, you know, you're only going to use a baby monitor for, I don't know, months or a, a year or two. 
Um, this is it, and the, just extending it, the use. Yeah, so it becomes like a nightlight and uh, something to help train your Brilliant. child kind of about the the routine of going to sleep at a certain time and getting a good night's sleep and stuff. So, it's yeah, it's really well thought out yeah. stuff. And the, web, the website is fantastic. It looks yeah. great. It's really nice typography, really simple and easy to understand. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm saying, yeah, wish you all the best. I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. Great, great design. Good job. We should really get on to talking about our main subjects, but I'm going to have to talk about this thing called colorer.com. Uh, do we need another way of uh, um, categorizing color, John? What, uh, no. What, what, what are we talking about here? What is this thing? So this is like an alternative, I guess, to RGB, CMYK, uh, Pantone. So join the color revolution. We believe in a world with unlimited creative freedom. It goes on in that vein. Uh, discover how color works. We took a 100-year-old colour methodology and improved it with 20 years of applied science to come up with colour. We then perfected it, so I think it's perfect, which is something I hate, based on how the human eye perceives colour. So basically each colour in their system is specified by a seven-digit code based on hue, lightness, and chroma, which is basically like hue, saturation, and brightness by mm-hmm. any other thing. Okay. And I think it's almost like they've just kind of repackaged it um so it gives you up to 1.6 million colors can be specified by this system and they've put three and a half thousand of these colors into their color system which obviously you can then buy right Uh, have have you just seen the price john oh my goodness yeah eight eight grand or six grand for the color toolbox which gives you little uh five centimeter square color chips of each of their three and a half thousand colors like you get in a you can get in a pantone system uh are they are they having a laugh i do not see what it achieves over and above anything that's already out there i mean it says that you can specify these colors to um kind of across all products and can be shared with suppliers manufacturers both digitally and physically but i i kind of don't see how that is possible i mean surely you know if you send someone a, a color uh color reference they're just going to change it into a, a cmyk or an rgb or a, a pantone or a ral whatever they're well, they, they, they are in the western world is this i've seen it at the bottom it's um Excuse my ignorance to what those characters are, but uh, is that Chinese or is it? Um, it's it's definitely an an Eastern Kanji alphabet. So I, I wonder if um, if is this uh, is this popular in the Far East or is it a different thing to Pantone? I'm not I saying that everyone mean. should use Pantone, but um, it it strikes me as you know. Ask I, I remember one there was one color movement before that came out that tried to replace Pantone, but yeah. the the powers lies in the whole in in the hands of uh, of the printers, doesn't it? Really, of what yes. whatever color they're using, especially you know, or manufacturer producing yeah. plastics, etc. 
So I mean, trying to oust them, I mean, for me yeah. to spend a thousand pounds hoping that, and then trying to find a printer that's adopted this system with yeah. the fact that I've now got exactly the same colors that I had before in the Pantone system. Well, it's, it's actually double. Is How many in the Pantone list these days? I don't know. 7,000 or something. Is there, is there that many? So, I you know, so. So I, I, it, it strikes me as being, it doesn't seem to so, try to solve any of the color issues. There no. aren't any solutions here. It's just another system. Where do you, yeah. where do you find this? Uh, I think it was on Quipsologies. All right. I mean, um, they've got a couple ter- of things typesetting on, the, on the website. Yeah. A couple of beautiful things on the website, that, uh, first panel where you can just scroll over and, uh, generate different colors and it gives you the their color or breakdown is a beautifully designed oh, yeah. bit of code uh, and they've got a lovely video on vimeo of nothing really but it's nicely shot yeah yeah bizarre needs some more digging into doesn't it really to find just, out where, where their where their market is yeah <clears throat> very strange um so have you got any other news or should we talk dunkirk we can talk Turkey if you like. What? <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about the film. Oh, not turkeys. We've been to the cinema. Yes, uh, I haven't been to the cinema since I since I saw the first Hobbit film. So really? We can date that. Hang on, you you crack on. I'm going to date that one. So Hobbit. So we've both film. been to see uh, separately. Well, yeah, it would be nice to go together, but I um I I jumped in first and didn't invite you. Uh, we've both been to see Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. So, if you know nothing about Dunkirk, it was it was the Allied evacuation from northern France in 1940 when they were surrounded by the German army at the beginning of the Second World War, and uh, a fleet of small ships and the Royal Navy um, managed to evacuate. Was it about 440,000 Allied troops over the course of a, a week or so from northern France back to back to Blighty? Um, and although it was a, a military disaster, it's kind of earned its place in the British psyche as a, as a wonderful bit of British daring do. And, uh, and it's not the first film of the, uh, of the Dunkirk evacuation, but I think it's probably the best. I haven't seen the uh, I haven't seen the other one for a very long time. I remember. No, the, I remember. Me too. It's a James there, Mason. There are, yeah, there are a couple of films. Is there one about the the ships that go from Teddington? There is. A, yeah, there definitely is. I loved that one as a kid. Um, yeah, I, I've come to this as a non cinema goer because uh, only because too, I, really. I now live in the middle of nowhere. And I had a child. So, yeah, looking at The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey was the last film I went to the cinema to see. And that was in was 2012. That? So it's five years ago. Wow. But I have seen a few films since then, but they're all at home. Mm. So going to the IMAX to see my first film at an IMAX was a, a really uh, exciting uh, and um, was an astonishing experience. Not only the film, but just... That size, that sheer size of that screen. I don't know what size it is. We should it's find tall, out. isn't it? Yeah, it's. I didn't realize IMAX was so tall. It's, it's kind of the 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 it's one one forty three. It's one forty three, yeah. isn't it? So it's yeah. kind of uh, like an old fashioned television shape. It's mm. not widescreen. 
Yeah, it's strange. And when you see the full 70 mil, it's almost like everything's, you know, the sky is above you and below you in the flight scenes. Uh, I think this is the perfect film to demonstrate the sheer, the sheer sort of human eye quality of IMAX at that, you know, at that side, at that uh, proportion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where humans see it in a circle, you know, we see um, binocular, don't we? We don't see in widescreen. Yeah, so it, the IMAX format, it's kind of envelops you, doesn't it? it mm. You you kind of almost have to move your head to, to see either side of the screen. It's it's that kind of big. Um, yeah. So it's a real immersive format. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> so it's the largest cinema in the UK. Uh, I think there are lo- probably loads over the States and throughout Europe, but uh, it is the only one in the UK that can do the full amount is that yeah. right i think there yeah. are only three three prints in the uk of this 1570 film they were yeah. saying that it's it cost 60 grand the, the yes. chap said yeah <laughs> which is astonishing isn't it it's astonishing for the canister yeah um but why are we talking about this today well i think for a number of reasons one is why is why is this film so interesting to us as uh, men of a certain age is it that we grew up in the seventies with that fascination of battle magazine and uh, plastic one seventy two, um, you know, soldiers and just that fascination because the second world war was so close to our lives. I mean, you know, our grandparents fought in it. I mean, yeah. it could have been even that you had friends that fathers might have, you know, just about been in it. Yeah. It's, I think also that uh, kind of when we were growing up as, kids there was nothing there were no negative um uh, uh things to do with being a kind of a patriotic feeling whereas there is now you know the kind of nationalism uh kind of infiltrates patriotism and i think that's associated with a lot of the the kind of heroic elements of of the war films that we grew up with you know it's you could it's like unadulterated heroism and patriotism and now that's it's almost like that's a a bit of a dirty word and this film definitely harks back to to those films that we grew up watching i think yeah i think on the you know the dangerous side of that in the uh, of the way that we were taught about world history as 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 english kids was that uh we never did anything wrong yes that the empire was a good and noble and benign uh, mm. formation and um that uh you know we all came from uh good saxon stock uh there were never any celts or romans or any of the you know those, those yeah. dark-haired lot um yes. and it was literally you know that's how history was you know was was delivered to you and the kind of mm. how you grew up thinking about it that the you know the brits were the stocky uh you know the hardy um tough guys in the comics the germans were the sneaky uh you know yeah. cruel ones the americans were the brash and uh, you know it just the, all of these things were racial stereotypes that everybody is taught in schools in the 1950s yeah. 60s and 70s um and i don't think this film tries to change that perception 
in any way. It I just think got, I, I just think, think why finished. I just think it's interesting why we why this film has has uh, so, so caught our attention. Um, is it the potential for the art of it, or is it just the fact that it's a, a war film that isn't trying to do the the American Hollywood thing of you know buckets full of guts spilled over a beach and shouting yeah, and screaming it's, it's- and explosions. In that respect, it's it's incredibly restrained, which I guess makes it very British, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, there is no gore. There's practically no blood in the entire film. Um, but it's a staggeringly intense. Um, it's, it's a strange film in that respect, isn't it? It's certainly a strange modern film. It kind of harks back again, like we were saying, to those old, old school war films where there was no blood and guts yeah well i watched them um, because I, I went to see it with alid and he he had just sat down and watched battle of britain because it's on yeah. netflix uh which kind of is a 19 i think it's 1969 or 1970 sort of mm. all-star cast yeah. and the great thing about it is that the aerial fighting in that film is amazing because they had enough planes just about yeah. and they borrowed all the old german planes off the spanish air force who still had, you know, Messerschmitts and <laughs> Dorniers and all sorts of things, and then just filmed this incredible, you know, fake dogfights, which even in this film, you know, a multi-multi-million pound film, there were only three aeroplanes, you yeah. know, uh, which you really noticed, didn't you? There was a lack of aerial, uh, well, not a lack of excitement, but a lack of well, just of scale. In our, in our kind of notes, we've broken it up, haven't we, into the you know the things we liked and the things we, we didn't like about the film. And when we both mentioned that the scale is it's a bit bizarre for a big budget film. You know, he had the budget to put 100,000 people on the beach um, if he'd wanted to. And he had the budget for there to be, you know, 1,000 fighter planes um, rather than three. Because I think... Have you got a, a figure there for how many fighters were used in the kind of the defence of the troops? There's, I think I or did I read it somewhere? It's like three and a half thousand um, uh, Allied planes in the air over the course of the week, really? and he only shows three. Um, yeah, it's it's strange. I, mean, I think you know he's kept it really pared back to concentrate on telling the the kind of three stories within the film as clearly as he as he could but it is quite strange you know the beaches are bleak but pretty much deserted you know the skies are empty there's there's not too many ships um I think but it's it's very definitely a, a decision he's it's made it's a deliberate isn't it? decision isn't it yeah. and uh it'd be yeah, what, why why has he gone with that? I think one of the, you know, there's always a, a an enemy or a, or a threat, and in this film, the music is probably the biggest threat. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it later. I mean, I know we're going off off piece here, but this is quite a good chat. Is uh, is is I think yeah, the the music is is the bad guy in it. It, it is it because you don't see any. the pace. You, you never, plus, you don't see any Germans. In the no, film. you never, you never see anything. The only thing you see are holes. You, yeah. you don't even see bullet holes. Yeah, yeah, just bullet holes. <clears throat> um, but uh, also, the landscape—the landscape dictated what could be done at that time. You know, mm. 
And so I think by removing a lot of people and a lot of background noise, you get the weather and the landscape and then the sound um, allows it to come to the fore much more than but if we- you had a lot of di- visual distraction. Yeah, um, but weirdly, pairing it all the way back like he has makes it a much more human film. Yeah. Also, you've got to think that uh, there weren't th- people saying oh, there weren't you know why aren't there three hundred there weren't three hundred thousand people on the no. beach at once it was over a course of eight or nine eight days, days yeah. and um, so it was four, thirty forty thousand people so if you imagine uh, the end of a football match if you've ever been in that yeah. kind of crowd it dissipates very very quickly and uh, yes there were a lot more destroyers out in the bay and so therefore. Um, troops were moved a lot more quickly than they show mm. in the film. I mean, I don't know why I'm getting into so much detail here, <laughs> but I think I don't think it's that important. I think what, yeah, what I took from it was just its unrelenting oppressiveness and uh, and drive in in narrative storytelling. And the most fascinating thing for me is the time the the time shift that yeah. is is the twist in the film really i mean this is you know plot spoiler alert but there's there's not really much of a plot but what nolan does and what he loves to do is play with time signature and time change and so you've got all these stories and he's literally chopped them up on the ed- in the edit room and then re-edited them together so that certain sections of the film you you kind of fly or you sail or run past other parts of the story that are going on at the same time it's incredibly clever. Yeah. And when it first, when I first realized it, it wasn't until probably halfway through the film when I thought, these three Spitfires, they yeah. seem to be very, they reusing them over and over again. And, I, and then I was yeah. like, oh, no, actually, they, oh, right. Okay. And then I kind of got it. Um, and it all kind of winds itself together for the, for the end, doesn't it? Yeah. I, 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 I loved the film. I mean, it's my, it's in my top, 10 films straight away yeah. top top five war films I've ever seen. Um, really recommend you go and see it. Uh, I haven't given anything away, uh, but um, the British lose the battle. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is incredible. I, I came out thinking, you know, is that the best film I've ever seen? It was just incredibly powerful. And like you say, the tension in it is utterly unrelenting from the first seconds of the film to the last. Yeah. It's uh, incredible. I just, I just, I was kind of calmed by the color, the coloring in it, yeah. the film coloring. And so other things that were great about the film, um, obviously, yeah, the blues and the sandy tones of the British army, the helmets. And, and every so often you get a helmet, uh, you get a crowd scene of uh, loads of um, British infantrymen. And they've got these, uh, you know, the uh, their tin hats on and they, and, and they're re- almost pewter colored. I mean, it mm. really is colorized. And then they lift their heads up and you've got these pale young faces. Uh, it's really powerful. Um, and I think that using the, the other thing that was striking was that they've used really young actors. I mean, they're yeah. really, really, really young that, you know, these guys have been on the run for let's say two or three weeks and fighting and they still haven't got any uh, stubble, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, which, you can kind of imagine a 19 year old uh, not not growing any stubble and and yeah. so it's quite not realistic but it's quite it, it takes you uh, a lot of older films tend to use big hollywood stars you know you got your john waynes and your robert shaws and you know they were in men in their 40s you know trying yeah. to be like they were you know young subalterns in 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 the infantry which was yeah. just nonsense these kids were 17 18 19 
Um, and that that really uh, brings it to a new audience. Um, I was talking to well, Alud was was saying, you know, the fact that um, there's a guy Harry Styles who's in mm. who's in a pop band of some. I don't know. Don't what pretend you've never heard of one. I, do you know? I had to ask who it was, which one he was. I had no idea. <laughs> Well, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, that is good, and that's what I mean. Is like, it's great. Is is that if that brings young, uh, fresh um, audience to there's watch an awful a film, lot of teenage girls that will have watched Dunkirk that wouldn't absolutely. have watched it normally. Yeah, and, the, and it'll give them some knowledge of 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 what. I'm not going to get into the Brexit thing, but it gives <laughs> out of why Europe, yes. why Europe, why the project of, of Europe, whether it works or it doesn't work, why it's such yeah. an important um, thing for it to stick together, because this is what happens <laughs> if you've got uh, states that are allowed to uh, to break away. Yes. Anyway. Going back, back to, to the, the th- things that interested me. Yeah, so uh, so time we talked about. And then so sound. So you're talking about what, why it's oppressive um, and why you've got this un- unerring sort of sense of uh, uh, of just stress, isn't it, all the way yeah. through. What what about the sound? It's, it's incredible. I, I know nothing about music, um, but we both had seen this uh, video about one of the things that – uh, Hans Zimmer and other composers use in film to create tension. And it's something that's been used across a lot of uh, Chris Nolan films. And it's called the shepherd tone. And it's it's a fascinating little auditory illusion. Where you have three different tones separated by a couple of octaves. The high-pitched one, I think the high-pitched one gets quieter. The mid-tone stays the same volume. And the lowest tone gets louder, but all of the tones rise at the same rate. And when that's looped, it gives this impression of a an infinitely rising tone. And it's it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really uh, is. And it really does create tension. And the soundtrack is stunning, but it is really it's just it just creates tension. The soundtrack really doesn't it? Yeah, I, love kind of, that. I, I mean, there's no, there's nothing else really to the story. It's just all tension. Yeah, um, apparently, apparently, it's a well-known technique in filmmaking yeah, for a yeah. soundtrack, but also video games. Uh, so yeah, it's mentioned the Mario, Mario Super Mario stairs. Yeah, there's the Eternal stairs. It uses yeah. shepherd tones to sound like it's going up in in, in tone all the way forever, yeah. which is kind of weird, isn't it? It really is really strange. Fascinating. But um, um, a lot of people have been saying on on Twitter that they've you know downloaded the soundtrack and they've been listening to it. I cannot imagine listening <laughs> oh, to God. the soundtrack. I'd have I'd to be you'd I'd have be to, in the corner of my room rocking. Yeah, you'd have to pop some uh, antidepressants. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, that's not to the detriment of the soundtrack. I mean, it's perfect for the film. But it's fantastic. I cannot imagine listening to it. But Hans Zimmer, all I can think of is, did he do Miami Vice? <laughs> no. Right. I'll be quiet. Uh, who was that? Glenn Frey. No. <laughs> uh, no, Hans Zimmer didn't do no. Miami Vice, did he? No. I know who you think. I'm going to have to look it up now. <laughs> Uh, Jan Hammer. <laughs> Jan Hammer, not Hans Zimmer. He was uh, uh, MC Hammer's um, Scandinavian yeah. cousin. Yeah. 
Ah. <laughs> Title sorted. <laughs> yes. Um, um, yeah. So bad bits of the film. Uh, well, you talked about how how the the format gives you a real richness and the colours are incredible, but we both noticed that it also shows up the the flaws in uh, making a movie on film. This really because, surprised me. Yeah, ants. I was distracted by ants, uh, a fly, and a thrip, all on screen, kind of you know as big as big as someone's head in one case. Um, I mean, they don't stay there long, but it's it it does take you out of the moment slightly. Yeah. And did you notice top? I mean, I know you were sitting underneath it, so it looked like a trapeze. Yeah. Um, but did you notice top left? The screen isn't quite flat enough. There's there are a few creases in it. So when you get bright moments, especially in this, you know, when you're in a Spitfire flying around, um, uh, y- you can see the cur the, the sort of the, uh, rip- the ripples on the surface. Which I thought, do you know what? If I'm paying, well, yeah. I was I I was very kindly uh, <laughs> gifted the ticket, but very expensive ticket price. Yeah. Um, I'd like it to be totally flat, but then I was thinking, actually, the it's really nice to, to know that this thing is flying at enormous speed through a machine. It's the, it's the equivalent of vinyl, isn't it? Of listening to a, a record on vinyl and yeah. he, and hearing and enjoying all the little yeah. scratches. I didn't see any animals. I just saw hairs. You know, the I can't believe hair. you missed the ant. There wasn't an ant. <laughs> no, no, there was hundred percent an ant <laughs> right in the middle of the sky. Wow, um, but we were talking about why. Why is it that something with those flaws and grain is somehow more visceral than yeah. a, a digital film, which is why do we add clear, noise? Super HD. Yeah. Why? Why does that get to us more? Because oh, our eyes are kind of ultra HD, aren't they? We don't see grain um, when we're looking at the world. So why? Is it just because we've grown up with that, and there's a there's something nostalgic about it? Is it does it just suit the film? Would Star Wars look as good? Actually, they did film Star Wars in. Did they film it on? They made it on film, didn't they? The, the newest Star Wars. Film. Well, that's one. That's where it's really funny you used to say that because they played the Star Wars trailer on IMAX in IMAX seventy yes. mil format, yeah. and it looked. I'm not an enormous Star Wars fan, but it looked amazingly gritty mm. and it looked really, really noisy, which gave it a real depth to the history of what it's trying to achieve is, you know, the old Jedi books or something. Um, How much of that, though, is, is the fact that it's scaled up to fit an IMAX screen? No, because the, that those those ones were shot in. Did, did the guy not say those uh, uh, yeah. those ones were actually were... shot in IMAX? So yeah. they are they aren't they're not scaled up. Um but what I noticed was the Blade Runner 20, whatever it mm. is, didn't look great. It just looked too busy, noisy, fast. Um, it wasn't, it, it, I'm not filled with good good thoughts about the new Blade Runner film. I must admit, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think, I don't think I've ever seen a sequel that's captured the look of the original as well. I think it looks amazing. Um, but like you say, I was sat in entirely the wrong place. I had the equivalent <clears> of a... Uh, restricted view seat yeah. that you get at theatre because I was on the third row. So as I looked up at the screen, it kind of vanished into the distance towards the top. So the screen, instead of being square, was like a trapezoid um, and everything was foreshortened hideously. 
So um, they shouldn't really sell the first half dozen rows of seats for a film. No. no, I don't think it would matter if it's one of those kind of experience films of space or underwater or roller coasters that they put on IMAX things. But but for an actual feature film, um, I don't really think they should sell them. Well, I don't think they should let they should sell popcorn at ten o'clock in the morning. No, uh, to sit next to some idiot eating an entire tub of it next to me. Yeah. Ten That's o'clock in the morning, about. mate. It's nowhere to talk about Alad. <laughs> he, um, he, he came in his dressing gown, and he lives down the road. <laughs> um, and well, I think I think we should park that one and talk about that in another that's a great subject for another episode is 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 why do we what yes why do we create these false impressions of what something should be do you, oh, no that doesn't yeah. sound right I uh, need to, no no i know what you mean but i need to ask you one more question about dunkirk first okay uh it's in france rob you talk about the back <laughs> of the film that you yeah. watched and you say michael cairns in both yes what is he in he, dunkirk He's um, well. I recognise his voice. He's the he's the sort of the wing commander who talks on the radio at the beginning. Oh, is he? Yeah, because uh, he's got that voice. And that's a t- I'm, I'm going to cut that one out. I love your accents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was talking to one of our listeners uh, last week, uh, and your we can't we can't well, remember what accent you. No, 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 no. A friend of my mum. Uh, we couldn't. Hello, Karen. We couldn't remember what accent you'd been doing when it came out Welsh you were trying to do an impression of someone and it came out Welsh it was I Welsh remember. I was doing no. Welsh no you weren't no. maybe uh, Irvin, but anyway, Irvin we, Welsh we love your accent <clears throat> so why do yeah so here's a future subject uh, is why do we add texture to things um, why do we enjoy degradation on items of media yeah but you know what justifies that? Because we're running out of time. We've we've gone on for eight ages, which has been great. It's been really, really good. I mean, we've got a massive chunk at the end to talk about a film that Alad sent me. But maybe we should save that um, yeah, for next week. Let's do that. But it's um, yeah, yeah we're going to look at, uh, at scale and framing of of objects because it's very important that when you watch this film, I've never seen a film like this, so I might be sounding very naive, but it's so different to a normal cinema experience because mm. there's this depth below and above you. That's very human. Whereas a widescreen um, is, is not a normal way of seeing something, but we've all become to, we've all come to think that that's a norm, a norm, you know? Yeah. Um, and what, why do we do that? And what, why has that, why did widescreen? So we'd explore why that came about um, and what people are doing to try and change, to change that. Uh, so onto pies. <laughs> yeah. What's your plan, so- Rob? Since the, we started the the recording, I've 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 gone downhill. I don't know if it's this beer isn't um, suiting me, but I'm feeling rather iffy. So I've instructed my chef to turn off the oven. So there's wow. no pie for me. Tonight. What? Uh, I know, but I can tell you about the. I had a shepherd's pie at lunchtime. Oh, that which obviously isn't That's pie. fine. No, it is a pie. Um, at the Ivy Cafe in Richmond, which was delicious, but it, it advertised it on the menu as coming with a creamy, mature cheddar cheese mash top. And it arrived, and it did have a, a cheddar cheese mash top, but it was almost wafer thin. It was like a, is it like a galette? Right. Is that a thing where they're like a thin potato? Thing? Oh, it's, I mean, it was delicious, but you can't really advertise a, a mash, cheesy mash top on on a pie when it comes and it's two millimetres thick. 
Yeah, so that was disappointing. I mean, it would have been disqualified anyway because it's not a proper pie. Yeah, well, I've gone for a. Uh, I'm not. I've got a bit of a dicky tummy at the moment. So, um, what a pair th- we are! Thanks to my daughter. Thank you, Kitty. Um, but uh, I've got a. I've gone up to Tesco. I don't think I've ever had a Tesco Mini Melton Mowbray. You know the classic, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the classic bloke like in a, a car. One. Yeah. Oh, I never bought it. Oh, there's your receipt. You dirty old sod. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a little tiny pie, um, and uh, I'm going to go in. Uh, I'm going to bite it first without any condiments. Right, naked. <laughs> well, as God intended. Mm-hmm. There's no no determining where the crust starts and where the filling ends. Uh, mm. Homogenous. Yeah, not good. No, no jelly. jelly. Uh. Right. So to rescue this unfortunate situation, I've put a load of English mustard on the plate. <laughs> you should try it with a bit of brown sauce, John. Don't know what you're missing. Don't be wrong. <laughs> so this is quite fiery. This stuff. Woohoo! Oh, uh, uh, that that does is that a, work? That is a hot mustard. Yeah, it takes the taste of the pie away entirely. <laughs> I'm going okay. to give that. That's not. That's not good. It's not a good pie. It's four. Uh, mm, my uh, my pie at lunchtime would have got a. Uh, it, I mean, it probably would have got an eight, but I have to take off um, two and a half points for the thin mashed potato layer. Okay. Um, I think it counts. It does count as a pie. It's very tenuous. Yeah. So you're going to have to make it up mm. next week. You're going to have to really, okay. really try I'll come in with a strong well, Hopefully you're still, next week. still alive by then. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you too. Right. So uh, we'll call it a day. I think that was a Let's. jolly good show. It was yeah, enjoyed it's that. lovely to be back in the uh, I mean, it's not for saddle. us to judge, really, is it? But um, well, I enjoyed it, it. Well, it is. I'm just talking to you, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm only recording this for legal reasons. <laughs> Call me to be recorded at any time. You should have read me my rights before we started. <laughs> right. Well, well, it's been a delight, John. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of Yorkshire Day. You can go back, go and moan underneath a cushion or something. That's well, what you I'm do, isn't it? Um, going to let my whip it back in and put on my flat cap mm-hmm. well, I'm going to go and, uh, and cuddle a Jack Russell ok uh, lovely to talk to you John you too and uh, I'll speak soon talk to you soon bye right. bye